Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. That's uh, probably not what you had in mind when you saw the title of that video. You know, one of the things we've learned over the last couple of years is there are a lot of working definitions of what inflation is. Um, And I think most of us define in this room inflation the same way. Does it cost me more to go to the grocery store this month than it did last month? And the answer, I think for all of us, is an overwhelming yes. Um, I, I remember the first time I went to the grocery store I mean, we don't, I don't go very often. I, my wife loves doing the grocery shopping instead of me. And, uh, and I remember going, and, and I thought, are we going to pay that much for that? Uh, like, well, that, that's expensive. Are we going to? And, and everything's expensive. Um, if you actually start trying to dig around and understand inflation, though, you run into all sorts of different terms pointing to all sorts of different metrics. And depending on which political persuasion you're in, that's, that's how we look at it. And so one measure of inflation is how much inflation is, is up over the same month last year and how much it's over from a month ago. And, and, um, and I'm thinking, man, now all these things are, are confusing. It's like baseball statistics. Uh, I remember when baseball statistics were real simple. It's like batting average and RBIs. That's pretty easy to keep track of. But now you start watching a baseball game, and they start showing things like OBPs and SLGs and OPSs, and I'm like, what in the world is that? And, and then I looked it up, and there was a formula that looked like calculus to get to some of these things. And I thought, I'm not even, I don't even want to try that. But now when you start talking about inflation, you've got things like CPI and PPI. You've got consumer spending and lagging indicators and leading indicators. And it's like, I need to go back to my college economics class to understand any of this. But this is the language that we're talking about now. And again, it's hard to understand. Sometimes the easiest way to understand something, though, is to recognize how much you as an individual or family are impacted. But perhaps the best way... To know whether you understand inflation or not can be summed up with a picture. I saw this the other day, and I thought it was very helpful. Uh, have you seen the new design of the, uh, of the $1 bill? If you get that, then you understand inflation. If you don't get it, poke somebody next to you that's laughing, and they'll be able to explain it to you a little bit better. Of course, we understand that increasing prices without increasing our wages is a problem, but there actually is a kind of inflation that might actually be good for us. This morning, we're going to seek to answer that question as we finish up chapter 3 from 1 Thessalonians. Again, this, this, these last couple chapters have been really kind of a challenge for us because, because Paul has been really just spilling his guts and sharing his heart with the church, and he's been giving us a lot of personal reflection, and sometimes personal reflection is hard to process in the scriptures, but we're going to conclude this section with a bit of a benediction that Paul gives us. And the apostle offers a very simple prayer for the church before moving into very practical matters that he gets to later on in the, in the last half of the book. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. The Apostle Paul says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct you, direct our way to you, 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this simple prayer uttered by the Apostle Paul. I ask God that we would understand it well today and that you would help us to see what may be an inflation that might actually be for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you could be seated. It is a simple but very meaningful prayer that Paul offers for the church here. And again, what we see here is he's expressed this over and over again in these last couple of chapters. He wants to go back to the church. He wants to go back and spend time with the church in Thessalonica. And he expresses this in prayer. He says, may the Lord direct our way to you. He wants to go back and visit this body in Thessalonica. And again, he has expressed this over and over again. But his attempts, according to chapter 2, verse 18, were hindered by Satan. Now, I don't believe that this is one of these things where the, he's blaming the devil for something. You know, he, he, you know, I can't go back. It must be the devil's fault. But I do believe that he rec- really truly believes that this is satanic effort that's keeping him away from the church. And, and I think it has to do with the, the ongoing persecution that the church has happening there in Thessalonica. Maybe for Paul, the famous apostle, to go back and visit this this community, it might have turned the heat up on the church again. Much like if, um, I'll use use one that's in the news, if if we invited Tucker Carlson to come and speak today, you, you gotta think that there'd be some activity outside wanting to hear what someone like that has to say. Now, I don't believe he has a place in the pulpit, but you understand the point there, that if we invited somebody like that to come and share, come and speak, that that would, uh, that would bring a lot of attention that we might not want to have gathered here today. And so Paul maybe thinks, if I go back, it'll turn the pressure up on the church again. His enemies were vigorous there. They followed him to another town when he left. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe there was illness that was happening. We don't know the cause. He doesn't explain it. But whatever it was, he was unable to return to the church there in Thessalonica. But I very much appreciate the longing that he expresses here because I believe that what he expresses ought to be the natural inclination, the new natural inclination, for those who are in Christ. Christians ought to desire to be around other Christians. That ought to be our MO as followers of Jesus. We ought to want to be around other people who love, serve, and worship Jesus. Paul repeatedly issues this refrain of wanting to be back with the church at Thessalonica, and that refrain ought to echo in our hearts as well. We certainly today recognize that there are times and seasons where our ability to gather together as the body of Christ may be limited. There are some professions where it is a challenge to be consistently present with the body when it gathers. Some folks have nine to five jobs Monday through Friday. If you're one of those people, you've got a schedule that you can predict, you know what's coming, you know what Saturday and Sunday looks like, you know what Monday through Friday looks like. Some folks don't have that kind of a job. Some folks like law enforcement officers, if you, ever have, if you know a police officer, you know the goofy schedule that they have to work. You know the, the crazy schedules. Uh, healthcare professionals that, that have to work. Service industry employees. Some of y'all are gonna go out to eat lunch today and there's gonna be somebody, somebody's cooking your lunch right now in a restaurant waiting for you to show up. You didn't know that, did you? They're right there waiting for you to show up. They had to show up for work today so they could feed the Baptist lunch. 
These folks frequently have to work on the Lord's Day, and, and honestly, it's sometimes really difficult for that to not happen. The Supreme Court recently heard a case about this guy, Gerald Groff. If you hadn't heard about this, this is really an interesting case. He's a mail carrier. We used to be able to say mailman. We can't say that anymore. Uh, but I guess you can't say mail carrier because sometimes they carry things that aren't mails. I don't know what you call him. He works for the post office. Okay? He works for the post office, and a long time ago, the post office used to only deliver Monday through Saturday. But because the post office was broke, they went to Amazon and said, can we, can you, will you hire us to deliver packages for you on Sunday? And Amazon said, we'd love for you to deliver packages for us on Sunday, but that required that somebody's got to show up and deliver the packages on Sunday. So they started requiring Sunday delivery, and these employees that used to have Sundays off had to start showing up for work. However, Mr. Groff refused to show up for those Sunday routes. Now, if you've refused to show up for your job on Monday, what's the likelihood that you get to return to your job on Tuesday? It's pretty slim. But Mr. Groff refused to show up, and he sued the Postal Service because their Sunday delivery impacted his observance of the Lord's Day, which included participation in the church body. This made it all the way to the Supreme Court. We'll know if he wins the case probably sometime this June. Now, I, I won't lie. When I click order on Amazon, and it says package to be delivered, Amazon Prime, on Sunday, May, April the 30th, I think, man, I'm going to get it early. And, and I get home from church, and that package has already showed up. I won't lie, that makes me a little happy on the inside. It shouldn't. But I recognize that I didn't really need that package to be delivered on Sunday. If the mail carriers or whoever, whatever they are now, if they couldn't get the letter to us or the package to us on Sunday, it'd be all right if it didn't show up until Monday. But I am personally grateful because my family has benefited from this that our emergency rooms are staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm personally grateful that ambulances are running on the road right now as we speak. I'm thankful that we have law enforcement officers on the road and available on Sundays. I'm grateful for that. But even difficult work schedules should not change the principle that's at work here. Christians ought to desire to be around other Christians. Now, we also want to acknowledge there's legitimate health reasons for people not meeting with the church when it gathers. Some people are too sick. Some people are contagious with illness. For those folks that can't be at the body, then that's where we as the church have got to make a particular effort to get the church to them. I would love to see our Sunday school classes adopt some of those folks who are considered shut-ins so that they are regularly connected with the church. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're saying, I'd love to connect with some of these people, let me know. I'd love to connect you with those folks who aren't able to attend church on a regular basis. But if we're being honest, I'm going to use a trigger word, there is a pandemic that is in our area that is deeply troubling there is a soul sickness that is deeply embedded in the hearts of our neighbors. We are surrounded today by people who claim to follow Christ but have no affiliation with his church. And unfortunately, I don't know the statistics because I don't have access to the records of other evangelical churches in our community. But I can tell you anecdotally that this problem is repeated in church after church after church after church. Our membership roles are inflated with the names of people who are members of a church in name only. You know who they are. You know their names. You love these people. 
you may even know the excuses. But there is a soul sickness at work in our hearts when we profess to follow Jesus, yet we avoid his church when we are not providentially hindered from doing so. I get it. We get our feelings hurt. The pastor made us mad. The church went in a direction that I don't like. I get it. I hear all the things. I understand. I hear all those things. But I want you to hear me in this, and I want you to hear my heart. If I leave this building in a few minutes, and I go to Food City, and I pick up a few groceries at an overly inflated price, and I go to that Food City, and the manager hurts my feelings, I get to that Food City, and I find out that they no longer stock my favorite item. I, I find out when I get to Food City, and some of us are really upset about this one, they replace the cashiers with self-checkout machines. Y'all love Walmart for that, don't you? Listen, the manager made me mad. They don't stock my favorite thing. They don't have cashiers to check me out anymore. I'm never going to the grocery store again. Y'all would look at me and say, you're a fool because you know where I live. And you know that in my subdivision, I don't have the means to grow and produce all the food I need to feed my family for the upcoming year. Even if I wanted to, I can't. You know that in my backyard, I don't really have a place to graze a herd of cattle. I can't even lure a deer into my backyard to shoot it. You know all those things to be true about me, so you know for a fact that, that if I said I'm never going to the grocery store again, you would look at me and say, Pastor, you are a liar. But Food City made me mad. Well, go to Publix. But Publix made me mad. Then go to Walmart. Well, Walmart made me mad. <laughs> You're out of luck, buddy. We don't do that. We don't function that way. You know I need a grocery store if I'm going to have any kind of quality of life. Listen to me, you need the church, and the church needs you. It's just really important that we acknowledge this. The church is full of sinners, and I love this saying, sinners gonna sin. It's full of us, we're everywhere. Look around the room, there are sinners literally, y'all, a bunch of sinners gathered together under one roof today, a bunch of them. They all came together under one roof, and not one of them were perfect, contrary to what you may think about yourself. None of us are perfect. The church is full of sinners who are prone to mistake. Don't dare roll up into church on your high horse with the expectation that you're about to roll into a utopia full of moral perfection. You have lost your mind if that's what you think because that is not what the church is. It is a hospital that is filled with broken people who are on the mend by the grace of God. And sometimes there are setbacks. Just like in the hospital, if you're there and you're sick, sometimes, sometimes things don't go like they're supposed to. Sometimes there's setbacks. Sometimes the medicine didn't work. And the church is a hospital full of broken people who are on the mend. But together, you and I as sinners who are broken through and through, by the grace of God, we can help one another have victory over sin and continue to find healing and restoration from our failures. I need you to help me find restoration from my failures. We need each other to help us find restoration from our mistakes. We need that in our lives. Together, we learn how to forgive. Together, we learn how to love. 
And ultimately, I believe this is probably what our greatest problem is. We don't love like we're supposed to. And that's the kind of inflation we need to get behind. An inflation in our love for one another and for all. Listen, Thessalonica is a good church. They got good things going for them. Timothy has brought back an encouraging report. But even in the midst of what is a generally positive situation, this is an area that can always be made better. But there is something really interesting here that I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning considering. If you look at verses 12 and 13 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, there is an interesting and very important cause and effect relationship that is here that is critical for any church's health and growth, not just ours. And to think through this, we need to first look at the effect. We see it here in verse 13. So that, that's an effect, because of this, so that, he being God, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Here is the effect, that we would be blameless and have holy hearts ready for heaven. That's what he says here in verse 13, that you have blameless and holy hearts and you are ready for heaven. This is the effect. Paul has a fantastic goal in mind, and he is getting us ready for eternity because this is ultimately what the process of sanctification is all about, getting us ready for heaven, getting us ready for eternity. We've been justified if we were in Christ. That is the legal status changed. When we gave our life to Jesus, we were, or prior to giving our lives to Jesus, we were guilty sinners deserving of punishment. But when we turned from sin to follow Jesus, our legal status changed because our legal debt has been paid. We were guilty, and in Christ we were declared not guilty. We were on one side of the ledger, and when we, when we came to Jesus, he moved us to the other side of the ledger. We were justified by faith in Jesus through his grace. Our legal status has changed. You went from being an enemy to God to being a friend of God. You went from being alienated from God to being a child of God. Your legal status changed. Just like someone who is adopted, they go from being not a child when the moment they are adopted, they become a child with all full legal rights therein. We were justified through, our, through faith by God's grace. And there are immediate effects from that. We are made new creatures. Our affections change. Listen to somebody who just got saved. They'll tell you there's something different about them. They'll tell you something's changed about their hearts. Our disposition towards our sin changes. It doesn't mean that we stop sinning, but man, when we're in Christ, we sure hate our sin. No true Christian loves their sin. No true Christian loves to relish in their sin. Any true Christian, regardless of how deep in the mud they get, they hate the fact that they're in the mud. Guaranteed. But getting this all right takes time. There is an instantaneous transformation as, our, as the ledger changes, but over the course of our lives, we are daily working on dying to the old self and living to Christ. You woke up this morning, you did not wake up ready to go. You had to make a decision this morning. I'm gonna walk in faith with Jesus today. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live to that old self. I'm gonna live to Jesus. But as we do that, the trend line on our chart is one that ought to indicate growth. It's like that picture. It's a trend line. There may be ups and downs, but that trend line shows growth. And when we give our life to Jesus, we dedicate the rest of our lives towards that growth, getting ourselves ready for heaven. And here, Paul is specifically praying for that sort of growth. 
He is specifically praying for that sort of growth that gets us ready for heaven. This is the pinnacle. This is the peak that we are climbing to. This is the great finish line that we are racing to. We know that we are not blameless today by any measure, and we also know that holiness is a very difficult condition for us to hold on to for any length of time. But we're working on it. We're working on it. There's a trend line that we are working towards. And I love the fact that God is working in us towards that goal. Writer of Hebrews said this well in the benediction of that letter. Hebrews chapter 13 expresses this well. He says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He is committed to working that in you as you grow. He is committed to that positive trend line in your life. He is working on helping you get to that place of being blameless and having a holy heart. God is very much interested in getting you ready for heaven. And as you mature in Christ, there ought to be ongoing growth in our hearts towards holiness and blamelessness. That is the effect. That is the goal. That is what we are working towards. But if that is the effect, you understand something's missing. Because we understand through this little thing called the law of universal causation that every effect must have a what? It's got to have a cause. You don't get an effect without a cause. You got to have a creator in order to have a creation. One of the greatest frustrations of people who affirm things like the Big Bang Theory is that they say that the universe was created a gazillion years ago when something that was nothing blew up and created something that was everything. So something that wasn't there blew up and created everything. We're already on shaky ground. But in order for something to blow up, my experience is in order for something to detonate, you have to have a detonator. I have never had a firecracker go off without me putting a match to it. In order for that explosion to take place, there must be someone there to light the fuse. Every effect must have a cause. And here, Paul is making a very important connection between our growth in holiness and our affection for others. Again, the connective tissue of this verse is very important. Beginning in verse 13, he says, so that. So he is connecting holy and blameless hearts to what he says before. And that's where he talks about our increase, our inflation of love for others. What's the cause? He says in verse 12, increasing and abounding in love. In this prayer, Paul is specifically praying for this good church. It's a good church, nothing wrong with it. He is specifically praying for this good church to continue to improve in this key area, that they would continue to abound and grow, that there would be a positive trend line in place for this church because this church is under pressure. 
not the kind of pressure churches today have. The pressure churches today have, particularly in the developed world, is can we meet our budget and, and you know, is the, is the building in good shape? I mean, all those sort of pressures. And listen, the, the pressure the church at Thessalonica is experiencing is totally different than these pressures that we talk about today. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for this church together under the, the presence of very real and very active persecution. In my mind movie of what's taking place here, though, I imagine these believers gathering and sharing with one another about their experiences of persecution. When we gather today, we talk about what we did this weekend. And the persecution we talk about is you, you got a speeding ticket for driving too fast coming home from wherever you were going. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the character of our conversations, unfortunately. But can you imagine a church that's under active persecution? They would meet together under whatever cover they can meet under, and they're talking about their active experience of being persecuted by people who hate the fact that they exist. That's this church. That, that had to be the, the candor of their communication. Trials like that necessitates a loving church body. There's got to be a, a presence of grace and compassion as people show up for their gathering and they've been under that sort of pressure. And as the heat get turns up more and more and more, the more important it becomes for that church to continue to grow in its affection. And all that increase and abounding in love means more than just love and positive feelings for the church as an organization. Paul is speaking directly about the other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ as they increase and abound in love. You know, there's a lot of people today, there's a sentimentality that exists in churches today where our affection for the church is not so much about the people in the pews, but our affection for the church is almost colored by our memories of the church. Our affections are for what we recall or there's a lot of people who have affections for the programs of the church. And we hear that even here. I remember when this, or I remember when that. And, and those, those memories and experiences are what we have an affection for. But Paul's not talking about that. It's not that those things aren't important. But what Paul is praying for here is not that we would love our memories more. What Paul is talking about here is that, is that we would love each other more. We all know it. Paul is praying that you... And you will grow in your affection towards one another. That's what he is praying for here. Paul is praying, y'all get ready, he's praying that y'all balcony Baptists up there and you front row almost charismatic Baptists would find each other and get to know each other. That's what he's praying for here. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me. In our church, and I love y'all, but if you sit under the balcony, you know who you don't know? the people sitting directly above you. You don't know who they are because you can't see them. And the people sitting up there, I love y'all, but you, you don't know who's sitting underneath you. And as the pastor, I invariably hear somebody say, well, well, who is that? And I look at them and say, they've been sitting in that balcony for the last six months. And they go out the front door and you go out the back door and your paths have never crossed. That ought to be to our shame. In a room with 200, 300 people, whatever we have on a week-to-week -week basis, we ought to know each other. 
and not just know each other, we ought to be growing in our knowledge of one another. It would only take a little bit of effort for us to get, know, for us to, get to know something about everyone here. Just a little bit of effort if we put forward. We would get to know something about everyone here. That's an easy one, though. But that's not the only thing Paul is praying for. He makes a very important distinction in this prayer. He prays that their love will abound for one another, but then he qualifies it one step further, and for all. So he's not only praying that you will get to know you and love you more, he's actually praying that the affection of our church must extend beyond the walls of our church and into the community at large. This means even for the unaffiliated, this means even towards those who are seeking to persecute the church. And that may sound shocking, but Jesus already told us this. Back in Luke chapter six and other gospels, he says something similar. He says in Luke chapter six, verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. He says, love those who vote differently than you. Love those who go home to a different situation than you. That's not there, but I think we understand that that's built in here. He goes further, he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Again, we get hung up here. We think Jesus is talking about nations. He's not talking about nations here. He's not talking about nations. He, it's hard for us to imagine the allied forces treating the Axis powers in this capacity during World War II. He's not talking about nations here. Uh, we did what we should have done in World War II by punishing evil. There, there's, not, there's no question there. But what he is talking about are individual Christians sitting in the pew and how individual Christians relate to the world around them. We have such a hot political discourse today. It's become toxic today. And this political discourse, if we can even call it that, is creating just such a hostility. And not just hostility from the culture to the church. That's to be expected. It shouldn't surprise us that people who aren't affiliated with the church hate the church. It shouldn't surprise us that people who love their sin don't want anything to do with the people of God. That shouldn't surprise us. But what should surprise us is when that hostility is reciprocated from the church. Because then we're beginning to look no different than the world. Instead of loving our enemies and praying for their souls, we find ourselves being pulled into divisive discourse about how we defeat our enemies. That activist, pick, your, pick whatever, that activist and whatever they're activ activisting for, that's seeking to silence the voice of the church has a different goal for me than I do for him. That person who's trying to turn off the witness of the church and remove the church's gospel witness from the public square, that person has a very different goal for me than I do for him or her or whatever pronoun we're supposed to use. My goal for that activist is not that they would shut up, but that they would come to faith in Jesus. 
That is our goal as followers of Jesus. Not that we silence those that we disagree with. Instead, we see their voice redeemed by the work of God in their heart that they become followers, passionate followers of Jesus. Instead of being activists for whatever political persuasion they're trying to activist for, that they would become powerful activists for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what our goal is. That person's content to close the church, even punish those who affirm and adhere to the word of God. That's not our goal. And while we may rejoice when we see a court victory over the First Amendment, I hope we understand that our goal must be greater than legal victories. We might need legal victories, but abounding in love for all means that we look beyond the legal victory to the spiritual reality that's also at work. Because I don't care what any appeals court or Supreme Court in the land legislates or rules, it doesn't change the hearts of a nation. The only thing that changes the hearts of a nation is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only people entrusted with that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand the ramifications of this. Paul is not concluding that increasing and abounding in love is the direct cause for our holiness. It's not what he's saying here. Loving each other is not a work that we can, we can do that produces holiness. The only thing that does that is Jesus' sacrifice for us. But what he is saying here is that loving one another and growing in that love minimizes our opportunity to sin against one another. If I am more concerned about growing in my love and my affection for one another, then my opportunity to sin against you becomes much less. And when you do that, that takes sin off the table because I'm going to go out of my way to avoid sinning against you because I'm growing in my love for you. A whole lot of our interpersonal sins are eliminated if we simply find ourselves growing and abounding in love. And if we can tap into that kind of inflation, then we'll see another kind of inflation too an inflation of holiness. And that's an inflation we can get behind. What happens when love deflates? I think one of the places we see it most clearly is in marriage. I think one of the mistakes we've made in the last couple of decades is that we've turned love into this thing that, uh, this thing we feel. That, that it's just a, something sappy, you know? It, it's what drives that young couple to, to ignore all the <laughs> heaven and earth screaming, don't do this. It just calls them to ignore it. Listen, loving your spouse is a choice that you make. It's a choice you make. I know when we get married, we're covered up with all the emotions and warm, fuzzy feelings, but when those hard times comes, when those hard times come, and they, and they will, not if, they're coming. Hadn't happened yet, they're on the way. When the romance isn't there, when the money is tight, when the kids are a terror, <laughs> you got a choice to make. And when you start to waver on that choice, what happens? Those temptations begin to creep in and those temptations aren't leading you towards holiness. We see that in marriage all the time. The same thing happens in the body of Christ. The harder you love, 
the harder it is for sin to find a way to creep in. And with less room for sin, the byproduct of that is more room for, for holiness. And the more we allow holiness to define our lives, the better prepared we are for heaven. The better prepared we are when we get to heaven. So how do we, what do we do about that? How do we fix that? I'm going to give you some radical suggestions here. Are you ready? Buckle up. Next Sunday, I may need to sit down for this one. Sit somewhere different. Look on the pew in front of you. You will notice that there are no brass plaques that do not have your name on them or anyone else's name on them. It doesn't have the name of your ancestors from years and years ago. There are no brass plaques on the seats, therefore there are no seating assignments. If you're a balcony Baptist, we know you sit up there because it's closer to Jesus. (laughs) Sit downstairs. (laughs) I know, this is a church-splitting conversation right here. We'll have our balcony service and our downstairs service. We don't do contemporary and traditional. We do a balcony service and a downstairs service. If you sit downstairs, sit somewhere else. Get to know somebody different. Another radical idea, have somebody over for dinner. And if you're the person who's sitting around, nobody ever invites me, why don't you invite somebody? Invite somebody over. Here's another one. Make a Sunday school class a priority. Make a Sunday school class a priority because that's the best place to get to know people and for that love to abound. And here's another one. Find somewhere to serve. The other week when we went over to the apartment complex for the block party, people from all different sectors got together and served and, and worked together. If you come to a softball game, you'll see people who play in the music and people who work in kids' ministry, and you'll see all those people out playing softball together. They don't do anything else together, but they play softball together, and it's fun, and they're having a good time, and there's fellowship, and they're getting to know each other. Those are super simple ideas. They don't require a theological excursus on why we should or shouldn't. It just requires a change in our pattern and a change in our habits. Real simple things that we can do to change the trend line to abound in love. And so when we abound in love, we work towards that, we find that it's much easier to grow in holiness as well. And when we do that, that's the kind of inflation that we can all get behind. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's affections toward his church and how it challenges us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to grow in our affections and to abound in our love towards one another and towards a watching world. Lord, I pray you would help us to guard our hearts against the political discourse that's so heated and so hateful today. And God, that we would recognize that that those people that we see as our enemies, they need Jesus. And we're the only people, Jesus people, who are able to point them to Jesus. So instead of working towards their defeat as our enemies, God, may we work towards their conversion as our brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you might help us to do some uncomfortable things, 
to get to know more people. Lord, if there's someone here that has not found a Sunday school class to connect to, then may we, may we help to overcome that, Lord, and, and find a place for them to connect. Maybe there's somebody, Lord, they've sat in the same seat for 20 years. And they know the people who sit adjacent to them, but they don't know the people who sit above them. Lord, help us to make those small little changes to get to know more people that our love might abound. Lord, if there's any here today that their heart's just not inclined towards your people because their heart's not inclined towards you, I pray that today, God, they would hear that there is a God who loves them so much that he paid the price for their sins that he might adopt them into his family to make them from enemies into friends, from alien into adopted. Through his grace by faith. God, that they would have the courage today to respond to the good news of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word and thank you for these people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.